0: And the podcast will begin in five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, ah, exciting! Woo. Welcome to the podcast, Dish Wallace, bassist Scott Alexander. Woo. Woo. Scott Alexander, how are you?
1: Uh, doing great. Now that we're here, I we put we worked so hard to put this together to yes. get me in here. I feel like I talked to Michael Mike, at. Mm-hmm. Um, We had a Los Angeles show Dishwalla did at a place called the Rose in Pasadena years Years ago. ago. And so, uh, we had talked about it maybe right at the beginning of the podcast about doing something about coming on down this Filipino podcast. (laughs) And I think at that point I was maybe like, I don't know, you know, I don't know how many people are going to (laughs) be paying attention to this. So I, over the years I've kind of like followed you and followed you. And I think we, we were trying to put something together and then COVID hit. Yes. And um, the year that COVID hit was also the 25th anniversary of Pet Your Friends of our debut of the, record. Yeah, yeah. So that meant that we we were really planning on working a lot that year and and um, doing a bunch of touring in support of of the 25th anniversary of our, our first record, and uh, and it was just all fell apart. And more and more, just I as know. it progressed, it fell apart. And I didn't make it out to California, and uh, so wait, I you're just,
0: not. I thought you were from California.
1: Well, yeah. I I am from California, but I live in a state called Idaho. Ah, see? You like how I brought that in? (laughs) Yeah, I (laughs) (laughs) do. So, yeah, we've lived in, you know, so the Dishwall guys, we all grew up together, um, for the most part, in a small town in California called Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we were learning our instruments and learning how to play in the 1980s, for for the most part.
0: Like, uh, you were kids, like?
1: I well, Jr. and George were kids. They were thirteen when they started playing together, what? and and it was on and off. You know, they'd gone different directions and, and joined different bands. But those two guys started playing together when they were thirteen. Um, How old
0: were you when you met George and Jr.?
1: Um, I met Jr. first actually because so Jr. had a studio at his parents' house. Right, N- New American. Recording or something, New American, and, and so uh, the band that I was in at the time was called Circus Life, and it was it was doing fairly well. We were recorded at JR's house, and he'd stop in there. He had an engineer that that was working in the recording there, and he would be in and out and stuff. And I learned that oh, that's JR. He's in a band called Life Talking, mm. had a good following uh, in Santa Barbara, but primarily playing covers like 80s ish covers in excess. Right. Simple Minds, New Order, that kind of stuff. And um which was like all the music I loved, <laughs> but Jair's a few years older and um I don't know, he kind of rubbed me the wrong way. He <laughs> seemed kind of like arrogant or something. So I, it, it was just kind of a funny dynamic for a few years till I got to know him uh later on when when I, they asked me to The way it happened was I might be getting off topic, but the the, the band was called Life Talking, right? right. All through the 80s, up until about 1992, it was still Life Talking. And it it had originals, and they put a CD out, and uh, it did fairly well. It sounded amazing, but it was just a little bit dated. It just sounded a little bit like one song sounds a lot like Simply Red. And... it, it, it was really well recorded, though, and so anyway, they had some management that was interested, and they suggested, "Why don't you get a bass player?" Because at that time, it was all sequenced. Mm. Okay, so there was like George was playing live drums, right? But they,
0: he was playing to a sequencer.
1: Exactly, it was sequenced bass, and and so um, they suggested you get a live bass player. They hired me for a couple shows. They were paying me like a hundred bucks a gig or something, which was pretty good for at, at that point for me. So I was like, okay, yeah, why not? And then their um, their sound guy manager at that point came to me about two shows in. Is like, look, um, we can't afford to keep paying paying you a hundred bucks per show. Will you join the band <laughs> so we can pay you less?
0: You know, you know that's <laughs> what like, that's what people don't understand, right? Um, I was just talking to Mike a while ago. Mm-hmm. Literally a while ago, and shout out to their sixth man because Mike's in a band yes. called New Day in August, right? And he's been hanging out with a guy called Ryan. Mm-hmm. And I go, Ryan's your sixth man, but then again, propose to him to make him part of the band. Yeah. He invests his time and everything else, but everything gets divided by six.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So divide zero by six. Divide a hundred dollars by six, but you don't pay him per show.
1: Right. Yeah. And and it just it 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 speaks more to the like you've got to you got to be a unified front. Mm. You've got to be all mm-hmm. with the same drive same and in the same goal. Yeah. And at that age, that's one thing we that band had going for it. You know, I I'd had some other projects and was. I felt like we're doing well and we're starting to get some indie label interest in Los Angeles and stuff. And it, it could have taken a different path, but I felt that with Rodney on guitar and Jr. being really good looking and you know, the, the caliber of songs that they had, even though it was dated that it, it it just, there was a lot of potential there. And so you saw that. And I was already close with George. Right. Right. And so, um, so that, relationship already made sense so i I agreed to join but when i joined i sure i shouldn't talk about it but i'll talk about it anyway but i i had heard that see there's a band from santa barbara called toad the wet sprocket yeah and i really looked up to these guys when i was younger and um they're only a few years older like glenn phillips the singer mm-hmm. was a junior at san marcus high school when i was a freshman okay wow. and so when he mm-hmm. was a junior in high school that his band got signed and they i were, know they were gone on the road
0: 90s they were like
1: <laughs> exploded and that columbia records bought out bought those first two records that they had released independently on their own and um re-released them uh before uh uh, fear came out which had all i want right. and stuff right um so anyway it was just like oh this is possible this is like the only thing i love the only thing i'm good at and toad did this so this must be feasible thing to Lord, do, you know, Yeah, because you're young and you're so dumb you don't know that everything that is against you in the process right. you just go for it you know and uh so at any rate i kind of i put everything I, I had into music i left high school a year early um i had a lot of difficulty in high school was actually asked to live leave my freshman year so i got kicked out of high school my freshman year the fir- that's the first year of high school when you're in the united states so um so yeah i had a rough time and i was having a hard, hard time getting caught back up so Damn. i ended up just I ended up leaving high school and testing into City College. Right. So that I could take music so classes. The, the GED. Yes, like mm-hmm. a GED. Um, it was a proficiency exam. So right. so that they would let me in so that I could just take music classes. And, uh, and general ed too, but I could take uh, jazz improvisation and right. music theory. And Did you excel and when you took? A string ensemble. Uh, um, the jazz improv class, I absolutely loved. I <coughs> absolutely loved it. And there were several other musicians that... Ended up getting it signed bands from that same program you know I was in.
0: I'm gonna jump ahead yeah. and um weird question, but haze. Oh yeah. The bass. Yeah. How?
1: I don't know. You know, that's one of the early songs that we wrote. And at that point what happened was ESPN um had reached out to us through our our manager who was like our bro. He's just the same age as us. It's like you know, but he did work in Los Angeles and knew some people. So we get asked by ESPN to do some instrumental jams. Mm. And um so we laid a bunch of stuff down as organized as we could on like a dat tape or something right. oh, sent it down to LA <laughs> right, you know, some old school digital format and uh sent it back down to him but pieces of that were the verses of what became Hayes right same thing with moisture also uh-huh. came out of that ESPN just jamming and that a lot of our songs at that point came through just just playing together and JR reaching into um, a lyric books that he had that were kind of like pre-sketched out um, you know ideas some more um, organized than others yeah. you know but I think Hayes was an example of one that he just pretty much opened up his lyric book and started t- bringing those words into, uh, adding a melody to it and it just working it in. And the, it was very much like Counting Bucars and Hayes and a few of those tracks on that record were really just like <laughs> everybody just mm-hmm. putting in their thing yeah. and it coming together. You but, know?
0: And, but this is what impressed me about you. It's, when you look at the chords, like counting blue cars, simple chords. Yeah. But then again, the articulation of the arrangement, the placements of notes, I'm visualizing it in my head. Yeah. How you and George just...
1: You're a drummer and you can visualize this. Yes. I'm also, yeah. (laughs) I know, I love that. That's awesome, man.
0: (laughs) Right? I know, right? How many people are in Dishwala, right? Three musicians and a drummer. But... (laughs)
2: No, shout out to George. Yeah, anyway. That's right. No, George does his stuff too,
1: <laughs> but it's a rare. Or it's rare that you know. I think that drummers know that stuff too. But yeah, you know, there it was. It was a time of like just trying to do something different. You know, mm-hmm. that's all it was, and we didn't necessarily fit in completely in the landscape of the music industry at that point in time. Exactly right. Like it wasn't a grunge thing, or like Green Day, or you know, or Pearl Jam, or Alice in Chains, or we were just sort of this weird. We were from a, a very different kind of area, different kind of musical upbringing, and and it was a more melodic type of thing. I was just I was raised on the Beatles and and melodic rock and songwriters, you know, because I was raised by a single mom in the nineteen seventies, and so it was just a lot of singer songwriters and James Taylor and yeah. Lee Scalar bass lines and yes. stuff, where it's you know, you're you can walking. In and out of the chords heard and, po- you. and connecting them I heard, together yeah. and stuff. And that's mm. really what Haze is, you know. Yes. So it's kind of like a
0: yes. Oh my god. But just just so that if George is watching, remember counting counting blue cars, you know, at that specific part after the first chorus going into the second verse where you just guy where you just sustain on on B.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Right. And then, yeah, and then it's got a drum break. Right.
1: Ah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's tasty. Yeah. That. That whole thing. I just. I. You know. How, was it?
0: Was it by accident or was that like, Hey, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna stay on B because the chord. The, the verse is gonna start on B, but I'll just stay there and you do something. I don't know. But when I heard that song for the first time, I'm like, ah, they landed on the one. Okay, let's see where this is gonna go. Right. And then I heard the drum. The drums go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That
1: I mean. Do you remember how how that? I, re- I remember the day. I remember the day in the studio, our little rehearsal spot that we had. That was an old plumbing, a plumber's place or something in Santa Barbara. That you know it was just a cinder block room, no larger than this. And you know uh, that one. George will say, oh, yeah, you never would have come up with that. And he said that to me. But in all honesty, there was a lot of communication. There was a lot of words. There was some communication between us on that drum part and stuff. And he has also said to me, "It's bi- I wouldn't have played it like that. Really? You know, like, that's busier than I would have wanted to do. I would have laid into it right, more or something. Right. He He has said things like that over the years, too, that he wouldn't have necessarily approached it that way, but you know it's but it, it, it's very much it hundred percent him that displacing the beat like right, that right there and stuff is just like that's just what what he does which is why
0: which is why when I hear somebody cover counting blue cars I'm always looking at that part I and am too if that person doesn't nail <laughs> it the never way it's
1: quite right either is and the drum beat in in general, I mean, and it's okay for for cover bands to approach things the mm-hmm. way that they want to. You got to play what feels natural to you. Yeah. But, but nine times out of the ten, out of ten, the drummer is not approaching that groove the same way. Right. And a lot of times, the the guitar player, you know, the relationship between the guitar and the bass is weird on that song too, where the bass. And then
0: he goes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the bass is descending, and and the guitar line is actually is ascending ascending so like a I'm, like
0: a drone kind of yes
1: there's there's a drone to it as well but i'm playing g over yes. where the guitar is yes. playing d yes. and so it creates this weird fifth yes. tension that's right there and what rodney and i were trying to do was again we were just kids trying to emulate another another band we were trying to learn another song by a band called Catherine wheel okay from, from england and they had a song called crank that was on the on the on the <laughs> you know that michael And and, um, so that song is on on the Chrome album and we just, we had heard it on the radio and we're trying to kind of like figure out how they were making that sound. And we just found our own chord progression and then then JR again opened up his lyric books to something that was called God. Wasn't called Counting Bucars. it just says God in his lyric book, just working title and just started feeling his way through it. Ham and eggs, it as we used to call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, just know, just, yeah. Just putting placeholder lyrics and placeholder lyrics, you know, where they need to be and getting us through it. But, you know, that's another great example of like when the band was really firing on all cylinders, like everybody's just like contributing something to the. Now, when you
0: guys made um, the first album, you guys were not signed.
1: Yeah, we were. You were signed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's funny because, you know, in the 90s, like, it became this lame thing that if you were an alternative act if you were a new rock act you had to come from this credibility you had to have previously released indie indie released Mm. records uh, a grassroots following in place and
0: this was the early stages of live nations 360.
1: and (laughs) we didn't have we didn't have any of that we didn't like told the west Sprocket they had fifty thousand names on their uh email list and you know they they had sold thousands of Records on their own independently. We were basically around as Dish slash Dishwalla because we threw the Walla on there. 18 months before we got a deal, so it wasn't some really, you know, there was the decade before that of hard work, but Dishwalla itself really was around a short time. But we were just focused. And that, that's the big that's thing the that word, no? I'd say to any young artists that are out there listening is that it just takes everybody on the same page focused, get off work every day, go to band practice yeah. and just get that thing so rock solid that yes. it's undeniable. And the songs reworked and reworked, we re, re, re-recorded the demos three times, same songs. You know, it wasn't until the third time around doing some of these songs that, that And we weeded them out, too. We had other songs that we dropped along the way um, after getting some direction from other people. But we did have good people giving us direction along the way, too. And uh, we had this early guy. When I first joined, I came into the situation. There's this guy coming up from Los Angeles every weekend to work with the band. Was he the
0: one? He was not one of the producers? No. No. Okay.
1: So this guy, check this out. The song My Sharona? Yeah. By the Knack. By the neck. Okay, so this guy Scott Anderson had worked with the knack and knew how what they went through to make that band so tight and so undeniable on stage. And and that's why they signed such a big deal. It it was a huge deal when they when that band got signed. It was like a million dollar deal in seventy nine or whatever. You know, you know that, you know that
0: that thing with the neck. How do you get to Madison Garden? Practice. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, they're, "Excuse like, me, uh, yes. How do you get to Madison Garden? Practice."
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. So sure? any, oh my god. So this guy was coming up there, and you know, he he sort of just rubbed me the wrong way a little bit, you know, and you, you could tell he was living off his the knack money from uh-huh. ten years prior wow. and stuff, and hadn't really done in between. It was a little wow. bit disconnected from what was cool and what was happening on radio at the time. Anyway, it turned out that he was going to take like 50% of everything. Everything, you guys? Everything if if we continued on with him. So, we we had around the same time met another guy named Ken Jordan. Okay. And Ken Jordan was just a sweet, helpful guy that had a uh, a development deal on Virgin for his act, which didn't have a name at the time, but it ends up becoming The Crystal Method. <gasps> It had a hit song called get busy child yeah. and electronic music. And so um, Ken was like, you need to get a, get out of there and we'll re-record your demos down at my place in LA. So you guys come on down. And so we come on down and Ken produces our demos down there and they sound amazing. And it gets us to a certain point. And uh, it, you know, it when it, we did the rotation, send them out, nothing's happening. Well, we hear about this contest back in the, in through the eighties and nineties, Yamaha had a worldwide battle. Of the bands contest called soundcheck.
0: Yeah. yeah, <laughs> Right. Yeah.
1: And soundcheck was coming through and it was just, the timing was like, do we want to do this guys? I mean, it's kind of lame, but let's just do it and see, see what happens. So we agreed to do it. We ended up winning the first round, the Southern California round of it. And what we won was studio time Ooh. at, at cello, which is like a huge, beautiful recording studio Here in, in LA. LA. So we redid the songs again with Ken. And those, those demos are what ended up getting us a deal. So it did work out, you know, and we we, we did like another round, we lost to some blues band from Portland. Wow, you know, but um, I'm friends with these guys in the Verve pipe. Yeah. Um, from from. Yeah, yeah, the freshman. Yeah. Well, uh, the Verve pipe won all of <laughs> soundcheck. They won the worldwide yeah and they won a record deal and made the record i think got dropped right after it didn't do well so it was years later that they got signed again but uh so anyway that that was kind of how the process worked but we just were we were all a unified front focused i've never seen another band that worked as hard as us since i've still never seen a band that's that like determined right you know now, and that's why it was such a short period
0: of time. <clears throat> when th- this whole focus thing, right? Because the journey of a band, people don't know, is is in your case times four in terms of being married to a person. You're married to three people, mm. three other people. I and mean, this is a commitment and the, the direction has to go a certain way. Otherwise it it wouldn't work.
2: Yeah.
0: How did you deal with decision makings like like when you said uh, we had to weed out some some songs and all that or working with this guy who worked for the NACA we, we gotta cut him loose yeah. who makes the decisions who agrees what if it's a deadlock two and two mm-hmm. who splits the deadlock and all that stuff
1: well fortunately we had people that we trusted on our team okay so you, you know we know. had we had Dave Young who was our manager that worked for MCA and he was our age and uh he just had our backs and, and had our best interest and so we we put our trust in him, you know. But the manager thing is a hard decision to make because like there's a lot of sketchy guys yes. out there. And my take on it is you should never have a manager unless they can add to what you're already right. capable of doing. They have to be able to bring something to the table like that level up, right? That you're yeah. unable to do mm-hmm. for yourself. So that's the only reason why you should go to management, you know. But um, we, we just, we, we got some really, really solid direction and, and you're absolutely right, man. It's, um, there, I'm sure there were tense times, but for the most part during that era, we were just pretty unified and we'd all sac. The other thing is sacrifice, right? sacrifice, you know, it's like social life. No, nah. I was, the, I was the only person married at the time. I'm the o- youngest guy in the band. The only one married, the only one with a kid.
0: How old were you when you got married? 20. Okay, I want to talk about that. We'll, we'll talk about that when we come back after this break. <laughs> okay. And we are back with Dish Wallace, Scott Alexander. Oh my God. So, 20, with a kid, married… About to rule the world. <laughs>
1: <How> <laughs> I wasn't so sure about that at that point. Yeah, but you, know? you guys were
0: focused. I mean, every band. Yeah. The the goal is, you know, we will dominate. But yeah. how do you go? That's what
1: we said too. We we called ourselves the New New Rock Army. Right. New, new Rock Army, and you know we. Uh, yeah, I would. Here is the thing: the the other guys in the band were are smart guys. Right. And um, they could have. Done other things, you know. Rodney was working for a cancer research firm in Carpinteria, and so he's
0: in the, he was in the healthcare industry. Yeah,
1: it's yeah, secured. and he was smart, and NJR smart, and George is smart, uh, and Greg, the keyboard player, the original keyboard player guy, you know, he was working at Raytheon. You know, wow, he, he was smart guys. But I
0: wait, why? Why are you so? Why are you being so self-deprecating? Well, the
1: I I just knew play the bass. Mm. I just knew how to play the bass. But
0: maybe that was good, right? Because you were the, you were the, what? Um, I guess the benchmark of what focus is.
1: Yeah. Well, it had to be. I had to be. Like, what else am I going to do to support this little family that I've embarked on? You know what? what? I've created this thing, and now how am I going to find my way out?
0: You know what, Scott? Before I ask you more questions about this backstory of the family and and the context of who you are, I just want to... Tell you that with with my band IntroVoice, I'm the youngest. Everyone went to college. I I purposely dropped out of college, mm-hmm. and my mom goes. So I guess you got to be good at playing the drums because this is the only thing that'll feed you. Right. Because I really purposely got myself kicked out of college, mm-hmm. so I don't go back to school anymore.
1: Wow, how cool that your mom was able to say that to you, though. You right? know, and have that support. And I, th- I think my. My mom, you know, because it was just me and her growing yeah. up, a single mom, and, uh, and I'm an only child, so it was just like, you know. Well, was I, you, was your I, mom
0: disappointed when you got yourself kicked out of oh, freshman? Oh, yeah. Of but high You know,
1: that was just sort of the tip of the iceberg. I, I had gotten, you know, arrested at a young age. And, and then I just found myself on probation, you know, yeah, like yeah. when you, it th- yep. th- basically throughout my teens, I was in some form of trouble. Okay. And I, you know, the rest so of the guys were not like that. They were, they were, they were better kids than I was.
0: Now, so you were in all sorts of trouble. You had a girlfriend. Yes. Did you marry your girlfriend?
1: Yes. We were just inseparable. I mean, like best friends at for years. At that point, I, I knew it was all going to work out if we stuck together. And so, in March, thirty years, thirty years.
0: What's your wife's name? Shelly. Congratulations, Shelley. Yeah. I am. You it's know, while I'm looking at you, and I am, I am just in awe, and I am. Inspired because what wha- again? Again, I'm looking at you and I see essence preceding existence like it's all in your head first, right? It has to be right, like, like every step you took, whether it was getting in trouble or yep. knocking up Shelly or tying the knot and spending 30 years, this was all in your head, manifested. Just moving forward.
1: Yeah. Even playing the bass. But even playing the bass. The success. The imagining yourself on yeah. stage. The imagining yourself. Yes. Win- win- winning the Billboard award. The imagining yourself. It's it's all visu- <sighs> It's all visualization first. This no chance. Now, yeah. It's, it's um, like, uh, in, it's hard when when people are in a rough spot to to. But you con- were to convey that to p- someone that's in a rough place. But I was. I swear. It's so like, that this is the what that uh, now we're talking.
0: So this is you were in the roughs, like, like to be to be able to f- focus on the music on a band without a future, um, with a career that uh, that, I mean this is California where most bass players and drummers and everybody mm-hmm. is yeah. right, the melting pot of talent. Here you are, telling your pregnant wife <laughs> we're gonna make it, right? Putting your faith in three other people four at the time
1: yeah how yeah
0: how What i mean let's let's talk about you well
1: it's not like it was just like it was solid all the way through and it was like this is what we're gonna do there and were challenges there were, right? challenges. There, were doubts. there was hiccups there was doubts there was a point where i was gonna quit mm. and i and they were, were looking for other bass players there was a point right before and what happened was uh you know I think Soraya was born and you know, we're living in my in-laws house and I'm just like, guys, I got to go back to school. I got to figure this college thing out. I got to figure out something. This You're is not, this has been a year, over a year and I don't know that this is going to happen. So I said, once I said that, the week, like days following that we got in, we get an offer from Hollywood yes. records, which is like they had, just had some success with sublime right small uh indie uh, it's not an indie label but it was owned by mca Mm -hmm. which is a real sketchy company that you didn't want to be a part of our our, we knew that because our manager worked there but it was enough to be like all right shelly maybe we ought to hang in there another six months and so we did that and we worked really hard we played la a bunch and we, we we chartered buses of our fans from Santa Barbara down to Los Angeles to pack the clubs right. to make them look full. Yeah, and um, we 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 rallied A and R guys from the companies to come on out and check us out. And and we rallied the right guy. Uh, this guy Mark Mazzetti from A and M Records came down and was just just I I mean really a lot of it was JR, but he loved the songs and was really Charlie Brown's parents was really the the. Because he was a huge Queen fan, oh, you know, and and so uh, at any rate, uh, it, it, it finally, uh, it finally panned out. But there was some sketchy times there where it was almost gonna. And then Heavenly Father was just like, "No, nope, yes. I'm gonna. You're getting, ah. you you're, you're, you're getting off track. I just need to throw your car right back on the track again." You
2: but know?
0: you know what? Here, like, wh- when when you were getting paid a hundred dollars to play with Jr. and George, yeah, how old were you then?
1: Uh, I guess nine, 19 or 20 okay, so Nin- see so that's right around right that time. Yeah, so that 20.
0: was that was like when you were getting paid a hundred dollars yeah. you were like yes <laughs> Shelly
1: this right. is it we're it was making money." Tangible, yeah right?
0: and then a crossroad game yeah where you can't pay you a hundred bucks anymore you in you out right what was going through your head
1: uh I mean that was a challenging time because right. I was also playing in I think two other bands at that point. So when oh. I joined, joined when I had to join the band, it meant that I needed to say goodbye to yes. these other projects. It just wasn't going to work. Yes. And I was trying to make it all work for a little bit there, and I was just ended oh. up pissing everybody off. There's nobody's happy when you spread yourself too thin, right. you know. Um, so no, that was a hard thing to do. But you know, one thing I say like all the I know there's a lot of uh, cover bands in the Philippines. Yeah. And it's, that's a hard thing. Cause that's like a little bit of like the the carrot, you know, is like yep. you're making money when you're playing covers and you have to give that up to play originals. And, and it's like, you gotta make sure those originals are solid enough and, and people are into it enough to justify breaking away from the cover thing. So I remember being a little conscious of all that and looking at the guys in my community that were like in their forties. Ooh, like so old mm-hmm. in their forties, I'm like 50 now. <laughs> you know but but my perception of like <laughs> I never want to be in my 40s playing covers. Oh man, never want to do that. Here I am, you know, 49. I'm a, I've been a working musician like for maybe the last decade since things yes, kinda yes, slowed down with yes. touring for Dishwalla. I've really have done everything. I'm in a YouTube tribute at band based out of Calgary. You know, I I I do a lot of different things musically and playing with different Singer-songwriters right. and covers and everything. I just do everything, you know, and that makes sense for me now. But at that point, when you need to be focused, when you're in your prime, right?
0: A sacrifice.
1: You right? got to sacrifice. It just, just is what it is.
0: Now, when when you let go of everything, and then there's the whole. Okay, guys, I am putting my my basically me and my family's future in your hands. You guys cannot play around. Yeah. Did you guys have a conversation? Were they cognitive about the fact that you had responsibilities and they were kind of responsible with and for you?
1: Yeah. I, Yeah, so uh, I think the way the conversation went, <laughs> we were all together one day and, and uh, it, it came, you know, it was really, it was Rodney that kind of chimed in and everybody like almost seemed to make a vote whether I was going to join the band or not because it, it meant that, JR was going to have to, like, give up a little bit of control maybe or a little bit of money potentially to have another member in there. But um, Rodney is just like, he's already a member as far as I'm concerned. And oh. and George, I knew, was already good because he brought me into there mm-hmm. in the first place, and Greg was cool with it. So JR was like, all right, I guess I'm cool with <laughs> it. <laughs> but the the conditions that I put on the band, this goes back to where I got derailed from yes. our first conversation was – The conditions that I put on the band was that we'd split everything evenly and so because I'd heard of these the situation with toad the wet sprocket where there was two primary songwriters Ah. Glenn Phillips and Todd uh, yeah and Todd Uh, so they were doing well financially and we there you look at the rhythm section living with their parents number one song in the country and the rhythm sections living with their parents and so this
0: not no. cool, yeah.
1: The the imbalance yes. financially because of the songwriting royalties going to two main songwriters was not going to work for me. And Polychrome, the band that I was in, simultaneously, that was going to be the case. It was a British guy that wrote all the songs, brilliant player and songwriter, and uh, but he was going to take all the publishing. And I was like, Ooh. oh, this is not going to work, no. I don't think. Like, I don't know much about the music industry, but I think I'm going to make no money. <laughs> <laughs> So this is just not gonna work with my family so here's the deal guys we need to split everything evenly and I need you to be respectful of my beliefs and my family and and everything and and they're like we're good we're all good and and we for however till 2005 we were all good everything, communication is the key it is the key that's all it was was just laying it out now later on it became problematic for Certain members of the band wished, right. wished they didn't give that up, but it kept us together for over a decade right. because we we were doing we were doing the same just as well as each other. It was all even. And later on, I learned that Radiohead, REM, maybe even Pearl no not not Pearl Jam, a um, Queen, Queen split their publishing. You too, splits yeah. split their publishing evenly. evenly. all those bands are like even. Mm-hmm. so. I thought that was so amazing you know, that the biggest bands in the world, REM and U2, splitting everything evenly. So if that says anything, I think that's like like
0: JJ and I were just having a conversation because we're the chief songwriters of Introvoice and we were like, "You know what? If even if we wrote the songs, but there were th- five guys hanging out in the studio and five guys playing all these songs, yeah. We, we gotta split everything five ways
1: yeah if you want them to stay a part of your band long term yeah you do right but if you don't care you don't care you know there's fans exactly. like you know I, I i was obsessed with the smiths when i was younger and 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 johnny marr and and morrissey of right. course are the two primary songwriters and they just they felt that the rhythm section was just disposable like they they'd be fine without them they get a couple different players and they were had no idea how complex those right. bass parts were and how unique they were yes. to the music. Yeah. They but right? you know, some uh, but because that's the singer, you know, he just wasn't cognizant to what was involved and what was actually going on to propel those songs and make them popular. I've always felt the same thing about Led Zeppelin, you know, it was like John Paul Jones and and, and, mm-hmm. and John Bonham, like seriously mm. not earning what those guys are earning, like that is one unit, like, everybody contributing the equal, yes. equal amount of, of any band I've ever heard is Led Zeppelin. So, um, it's just wrong when it goes like that, but, you know.
0: But early, but it's good, right? Early on, you have the it conversation. It yeah, yeah. It is what it is and all that. Now, now money starts coming in. Yeah. Life becomes better. hmm How did it affect personalities and egos?
1: Um... I'd say for a good decade we were fine. Everything, everything, hung in there pretty well. Um, you guys even had songs it, in Smallville. It became problematic when the money was drying up in our accounts. I, th- oh. I think you know because um, you know when we we signed a record deal and when it wasn't a large advance by even the standards of that time. It was pretty good, and our, our first record budget was a quarter of a million dollars was good you know it was good but when we signed when here's a, here's a story for you we'd heard horror stories of bands selling their publishing that's the ownership of your songs yeah. too early and an example would be like like Pearl Jam Eddie Vedder had sold his share of the songs early on for about ten thousand dollars or so maybe ten or twenty thousand dollars and the rest of the guys were doing really well financially and he was having to play catch-up because he of course didn't, he wasn't. He didn't have all that publishing m- money come in. Um, we toured with a band called the Google Dolls. Yeah. And Google Dolls, they were indebted to their previous record label, Metal Blade, to, for fifty percent of all their earnings.
0: Everything, even yeah. the live shows. So,
1: they had the I mean, name is already a huge, huge right. single, and they're they're maybe on the follow up record to Boy Named Goo at that point, but. At any rate, they'd done really well, and they were still touring in a van and still trying to save money and still not not really doing well financially because they had sold their publishing early on. Willie Nelson had sold the publishing rights to Crazy for like Patsy Cline for two hundred and fifty bucks, you know. But he could he was able to pay rent that month, so he was able to continue on. And, you know, was his way of looking at it. But so when we so we're like we're, we're hanging in there. We're gonna hold yeah hold our chips you know and as long as we can and so once County boat cars was blue cars was number one at rock number one at hot ac number one at triple a number one at alternative it was you know top 10 chr right. on the pop charts um it was you know it was a massive massive success then we decided to to push the button and our manager went went to see if there was interest from the publishing companies when warner chapel came to the table of like 1.6 million. To buy the to the publishing yeah. rights. Uh, or no, it was like 1.2 million or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dang, I don't know, maybe we ought to take that, you guys. That's, <laughs> like, that's like a lot of money. And uh, it was good for even back then, we hung in there. We ended up getting $2.6 million See? from EMI. And so that's what kept us living. Now, I can remember Shelly asking me, <laughs> In about 1998 or nine, you know, a few years after Kenny Bacars, Scott, what happens when this money's all gone? Oh! oh. What happens when it's all gone? What's a, what do we do then? And I was like, we just sign another deal. That was my response. We just sign another. This is how it is now. We're going to sign another record deal once these records are fulfilled. We'll sign another publishing deal once this is recouped. This is our life now. This is just what... and. There, so my plan was not even a plan, and it wasn't even based in any kind of reality because that's like a twenty-five-year-old reality. Right. <laughs> and and to
0: people who don't know, people think an advance is right. a is a is a is a talent fee. No, it's an advance. It's an advance It
1: has to get <laughs> Like if they that. give you a
0: yeah. quarter of a million dollars, a mm-hmm. company has to make a quarter of a million dollars and a penny, yeah, and then you're fulfilled.
1: Right? Yeah. So. So EMI did end up getting recouped. So it right. made all that money back, which is pretty cool. So
0: so that was a conversation. And then what?
1: Well. Um,
0: so 2005 comes along. Yeah,
1: 2000. Uh, well, I'd say more like about. <laughs> Before <laughs> that. My, my frustrations with things maybe started a bit earlier than that. I think about the time of Opaline. Well, with
0: Opaline, that's that's when you guys really. Um,
1: We'd been through a lot at that point, though, because. Yes. The, you know, we, we put so much... I I mean, I put so much work and l- love into the follow-up to our first record.
0: Sophomore albums are sophomore always... Sophomore albums. It's always... Uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot right of there. pressure. Yeah.
1: And um, <clears throat> what happened was, you know, we it, it was a, a sort of a long process getting the songs written to a point that the record label was happy to sign off on it. And um, we get this thing done. The record label's pretty happy with it. And we get word that right around what's supposed to be our release date, which I think is like, maybe it was in the summer of 98. Okay. Um, I'd have to look on Wikipedia to see where, where that was, but <laughs> it, it, we got word that the the record label is being bought out. A and M polygram is all being sold to universal, universal. Vivendi, yeah. Vivendi. And so, um, here's, what's going to happen. We're going to drop over a hundred bands. Don't worry. We're going to keep you, but, um, we're only going to keep Cheryl Crow, Blues Traveler, Sting, Amy Grant. No, maybe Amy got dropped. Uh, uh, Dishwalla, Gin Blossoms got another record. Mm. But at, at any rate, the, the story was like, and I was like, maybe we ought to wait to put the record. They're like, no, the record might not come out if you if you wait. We need to get the record done and get it out.
0: But your gut feels sad.
1: Yeah, and, and what happened was... Um, they picked a single which was once in a while and um which i was ecstatic about because i felt like that was like my baby that was my my contribution to the record because i felt that there wasn't really a good lead off single mm. that was in the realm of Counting blue cars right, to that, follow that it stood up stood out yeah 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 and so um so yeah i just put that that song together and we present it to the band we get that thing done it turned out really good record company likes it as a single we put it out at number one most added first week out that means like so all the radio stations they call it ads when a radio station decides to add the song to their playlist number one most added first week out and so we're like right on yes the thing's gonna be rocking and um and it just sort of like there was no financial backing to it, and just sort of like.
0: And that's frustrating. and scary at the same time. Yeah. And that
1: was it. We hit the road for a little bit, in support of the record. But you know, it was just it was hard. It was really hard. And it's it's funny because like in retro, what did you say.
0: No, um, what was hard about hitting the road? Hitting the road? Hitting the road, or being away from family, or just yes. playing, or oh, both, oh, both oh, everything.
1: But it's hard, especially hard when. That your, your baby that you just made here, yeah. this new record that you've slaved over, right. is not doing what you had expected. And <laughs> our situation was like, I can remember in retrospect, us being the opening band for Blind Melon and for their Soup album, uh-huh. which was their sophomore album. And I thought it was great record. Uh, there were some tracks I in re- Galaxy, which is the single. I really liked the single. And uh, the band was in a bad place on the road. They were miserable on the road, except for Shannon, who was like the <laughs> sweetheart. Like he was the coolest guy in the band. But um, at any rate, I can remember the way that they were on the road and it was very hard, you know, to be out there supporting this thing that's just dying. It's not doing well. Jin Blossom's second record too. Well, they had like... Um, the What was on the second what record? Was, yeah, what was that um, single? It did pretty well.
0: How do I find some As long as it matters. The, the, the sophomore, sophomore album. album. Follow you down.
1: Follow you down. Okay. Follow you down. But um it was the same thing. And I can remember getting lectured by by Robin, the singer, one night, you know, about not being respectful. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, <just> like, <laughs> are you serious, man? It's just funny to think about now. But, wait, wait, wait. Was there
0: seniority amongst you guys as well in terms of well, on the
1: headline? It was frustrating because like, you know. County Boogars was maybe number one at that point when we were opening for Gin Blossoms on tour, we were doing really well. Well, Gin Blossoms didn't really want us there at all. It was the label forced it. Yeah, And so they already had an opening act that was an Americana artist that they really respected. And they, and they said, Nope, we're not going to, we're not going to make him play first. He was already on the tour. You're going to play first if you want to be on the tour. So we're playing to like no people. And uh, we've got the number one song and, And we're just being treated like crap. Politics, no? Yeah, exactly. But you know, Robin wanted to to take that opportunity to kind of educate us about how it is. And it was just so weird because like we're the same age, dude. We've been doing this the same amount of time as you have. You just your band got bigger uh, two years in advance, right? You know,
0: how about Matchbox Twenty? Were you guys in the same um, circuit?
1: Yes. Yeah, I can remember a night a drunken jr and uh what's his name rob thomas yeah rob thomas at the uh, karaoke doing karaoke of their own <laughs> songs at a, in a hotel lobby <laughs> and all the girls ah, you know, cracking up and stuff you know it's funny cuz we had a show i think maybe like 2010 with matchbox 20 and he brought that up he's like it, he still remembered it <laughs> I that was kind of funny. But, yeah, no, he, he's super cool. But, uh, yeah, those are they're a good band. Mm-hmm. Wallflowers, we did a bunch of shows with. And what has all the bands? We had to do... We toured with all those bands. What yeah.
0: happened um, with regard to the whole 90s explosion? Because mm-hmm. you guys were rocking. We were all in the Philippines, and we were just basking mm-hmm. it all in. You know, first it was the British invasion in the yeah. 80s, and then you guys came out in the 90s. By the way... While you guys were out here banging it, me and JJ were out there in Asia banging it as well and and all that. But we would play your songs and um, really get a kick out of everybody just having fun while uh, we did all all these songs. But what what happened with the whole genre? You guys got older?
1: We did. And, and I think that's a huge, that's a really good point. And you know, our second record came out, takes us into 1999 at yep. this point. And by 1999, it was like, you know, we're without a record. Well, they threw us onto interscope. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. They put us on interscope records, which is like the home of now corn, yes. Limp Biscuit, yes, all these new metal acts. And and Dishwala. and so like alternative radio in the united states just really took a left turn into a heavier sound
0: with seven string guitars and all seven
1: the... string guitar rock exactly yeah. all detuned and and so um alternative rock prior was really varied mm. you know butthole surfers and alanis morissette yep. and just, Sarah McLaughlin and, yep. uh, and, 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 you know, like, so it was just like, it was all over the map. It was really diverse. And all of a sudden it all sounded like new metal. It sounded like real heavy and a lot of it alienated a lot of people that liked the other stuff and a lot of females, which I never really thought about, but um, the females kind of like, didn't have a home at alternative rock anymore yeah. either. So it was like, it, it, it I think what it did was it made pop rock, which I consider us to be a little bit lighter, so that it fitted, it it fit better onto triple, you know, adult contemporary. Yeah. Because I think about I I was recently on a podcast um, called One Hit Thunder, and um, they they let me choose a favorite um, one hit wonder from. From the past, and I was thinking about the demographic of that podcast, and I chose um, "She's So High" by Tal Bachman. She's
0: so high, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, which
1: is 1999, but I think that's right at the time of like Coldplay, right? And everything started to get a bit lighter, mm. and a lot of the bands that we were into, Travis and Coldplay, and the British stuff, um, also kind of led us that down that avenue, and that's why Opaline. Is a is a lot lighter. lighter. It's a but much more of a solitary type. But you genre. know what else? I I, I love it too. I love to listen to it. I don't feel as much connected to it, be just because of my, my head space at that time, and um, just wasn't as engaged in it. I guess. Wow,
0: wow! Did you ever feel that? Because you know you get desensitized, right? Bec- um, the formative years. You guys were really focused on. Making it, yeah. Normally, what happens is when you make it, you tend to lose focus on what got you to where you are. Yeah. Now everything is going downhill, and then conflicts begin. What was going through your head at this point when it started coming into the bed? Before you answer that, short break. We'll be back.
1: <laughs> I said you could ask whatever you wanted. I know you're just not holding back now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And we're back. Okay. Ha. Huh. Ask you anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> what happened? No holding back.
0: Yeah, so what happened? What happened? Literally, focus. Where's the start? You got it in. Yeah. It's happening. I mean, the in, it's it, industry is shaking. The, the millennium is...
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I don't know. What, and then what happened? Napster. Internally. Napster. Lime, I mean, every, Lime everything. LimeWire. Yeah, right?
1: exactly. LimeWire, everything shifted. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we were on this major label and in a world where I was thinking about today as I'm driving around LA, I'm like, wow, we had a clothing budget. They used to just give mm. us money for clothes or take us shopping with a right, liaison right. from the label. You know, all this stuff that doesn't exist anymore. And we, we lived in a fantasy. Uh, it, it was the end of an era. We were a part of the end of that yes. era of all the money from the label. Yes. Where it was quarter of a million dollar uh, record budgets to start out and uh, clothing budgets. And what instruments do you think you're going to need? Do you need a new DW kit? Right. No, not a problem at all. We'll set you up with a DW uh, endorsement guy and he'll hook you up with whatever you're going to need. Okay. You're going to pay for it out of the rec- record sales. They don't tell you that part, but you know, it, that, Oh, the, no, is, that, is it what? Oh yeah. It was you, it free. No. What the heck? Yeah. maybe ten percent off or something for the endorsement deal for DW is not—they don't knock it down. that Paging, Mister John Good. Yeah,
2: right.
1: <laughs> so, so at any rate, you know, nineteen ninety-nine, they throw us on Interscope. We ask to be let go out of that deal. We're a million dollars in debt to A and M from the. From the endorsements, <laughs> from, from the yeah, so-called endorsements, from all everything, from the records, the videos. We made like a video for Hayes County Bucar. Yeah, give
0: um somewhere in the middle,
1: some. Oh well, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's later. That's later. But, but um, still, oh, this
0: is the first album. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So anyway, we made four videos. Charlie Brown's parents. We made Charlie four Brown's videos. Parents, yes. Each one of those is right around a hundred grand. So yeah, we 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 get. At, wait, wait. We,
0: you we, thought they were free?
1: No. And you knew it, you, were, you guys were paying for it. Well, the video it. thing is a is shared expense with the marketing okay. and, and the band on it. So you don't get build the whole thing on, on videos. But at any rate, it was right around that time they said, we're not doing videos for bands anymore, period, unless they have a single taking off at radio. Then we'll quickly make a video. But otherwise, we we're they weren't getting them on MTV or VH1. So what's the point? A um, friend
0: of mine just posted... Um, MTV is 30 years, uh, 40 years old? MTV is 40 years old today. Thank you for 15 years of music. <laughs>
1: That's right. I love that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Shoot. Okay, go. So, right. So, so in death, uh, and then.
1: Yeah, so um, So what happened? They they let us out of the deal. And right around 2000, 2000 or 2001, our original guy that signed us to A&M, Mark Mazzetti, found himself at an independent label called uh, Emergent. And these guys had a bunch of money. And okay. they wanted to pattern that label off out after another label called Wind Up, because they had just hit it big with a band called Creed. Oh, okay. And Wind Up, the Creed scenario was that they spent a million dollars to get Creed into something marketable, the record and the yeah. marketing, and, and get it to make money. Well. They kept throwing money at it and throwing money at it. It ended up costing $4 million to break Creed. So it was not like a Creed broke organically and people really loved that. band. <laughs> it's just that it, it cost a lot of money to make it happen. But, uh, and, and eventually people did love Creed. I'm yeah. sure. But, um, so emergent was kind of modeled after that. It was a new breed of independent label and major distribution. So we did opaline. Yeah on Emergent. And so now you were going it's good in budget, and we were just happy to be making a great record again with a real producer, uh, Greg Wattenberg, who had a writing background and a, a publishing deal with EMI, and he was going to help us with the songs a little bit more. So come at it t- from a different angle with what a different was the, producer, what too. What was
0: the social climate inside the band at this point?
1: Pretty, not real good, because we had been beating our heads against the wall since 1999 trying to write songs. Right. And... We had written plenty of songs and they just weren't good enough. I'll be honest with you. Who they said they weren't, weren't good enough? We we knew inside ourselves that this is not solid enough. Uh, and by the time we, we reconnected with Mark Mazzetti right. and he was interested, he said, play me all the stuff you've got so far and he was like really you guys like (laughs) what have you been doing for the last two years and we'd go to band practice every single day still we still had that drive and we'd just sit there in the studio and the gear and just look at each other and fiddle around with stuff maybe start arguing it was it was really bad it was it was a really rough time from 99 2001 until things started to lighten up once we got our footing again is
0: there a difference going into the studio with no money and going into the studio now with
1: money yeah right
0: <laughs> what was what was the difference like well i mean you guys didn't notice it like well, now i'm asking you the question yeah it makes you think oh, yeah, it's not
1: about uh, the money yeah, no but just, then
0: again it changes the the drive somehow
1: oh yeah well uh, i mean i mean if you're in a legit studio and the clock's ticking you got to deliver, and you've got a time frame, and it's got to be focused. Right. Now, when we were trying to write songs on our own for those two years in our in our own right. studio, it was so unfocused, you know. And ah. and but so Jr. was, you know, kind of struggling, and we were all just we were just going to band practice for really no reason. We should have just taken a break, and re- reconvened. Maybe when he had some good song, I and he, things had shifted in the band where. We used to, like, on the first record, I saw we'd jam out and we had those ESPN jams. We turned into Moisture and, and Haze and, and and Jared opened his lyric book yeah. and, and all of a sudden we just have magic. Yes. It just had magic yes. and, and out of nowhere. And a, after we started struggling and the lyric books was all dried up or something, it was just like, it became a, a chore to Ooh. write songs. Not an enjoyable kind of jam yes. out thing. and. We would do our jams like back in the day, like, yeah, just get something going on this, man. And uh, he couldn't wrap his head around a lot of what we were doing a lot of the time. And so it was easier for him because he he wasn't a guitar player. Originally, he, Jr. is a pianist. pianist. Um, he picks up guitar really to, to fill out the sound live. But he became good enough on guitar to start writing songs. And so... And that was fine by me. It was fine for him to just take an acoustic guitar, electric guitar and 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 do songs. I don't care just as long as we've got songs and they're good songs. That's all I care about. <laughs> and uh, so um, we really struggled until we we met up with Greg Wattenberg and really focused on the writing and pre pre production is what it's called. And we we got a solid set of songs that we could finally go in the studio with but it was a process
0: so now going into the studio you guys yeah. were kind of uh, not tired but you guys were wiped in terms of
1: in terms of our relationship yes with each other yes yes, yes right in terms of the music and no, the work that we no. needed to do we were good mm. but internally we were of pretty tired of each other I think
0: yeah at that point yeah did that, that
1: so that's 2002 yes so we make opaline it does what it's gonna do it sells about a hundred thousand units on an independent label great that's yes. great and that's a lot of records for for an independent release you got so.
0: sync rights on that too i mean that's
1: right yeah yeah we got some good sync rights mm. stuff and um um the dvd version you know we're one of the first bands ever to release in 5.1 you know a dvd audio version <laughs> yeah. of it and stuff we did some fun stuff and right. um so anyway we we did this label and uh I, I i was we oh i know what happened the touring for that record was such that the money the money became more and more an issue at this point i've got three kids and i've got three children at that point and the rest
0: of the band did they have kids at i this think
1: point? george has one maybe but george no george is out still at that point mm-hmm. um maybe rodney has one rodney might have had his first son by then yeah so rodney has one So fat. okay so i've got three kids so i've got the most burden i've got the most on my shoulders still and um i i said to the guys um i, I you know i don't know my, how much longer i can keep this going and i think they kind of brushed it off like sure you, you're what else are you gonna do you know they never Verbally said that, but I, I... But at the back of their but heads, as time like, progressed, we, you know, we, we toured that record. We did what we could. Uh, didn't really make much money. And um, so we're just struggling, starting to struggle financially. We get to about 2004 and we're writing songs for what's going to be this self-titled album that's yeah. finally on Spotify and stuff, right? And I said to them before we started recording that record, this is my last record.
0: Why'd you say that?
1: Because I've I, I've got to move on.
0: Where 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 were you going okay. to go?
1: Well,
2: here.
0: I'm just asking. Are you ask you. Just I don't you, know. Ask you anything? Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> I had options at that point. There's a family business that uh, my wife's family, blah blah blah. So, but I, then again, there, I
0: mean, you were really going to turn your back on on music?
1: Well, I. I just didn't know what else to do. I burned out on it in yeah, all honesty. Yeah, I enough. was burnout out on it as burnout with the guys. And uh, so I said one more record and I'm, I'm out, I'm taking off. And they, they brushed me off, said, sure, whatever. We get through making the record and uh, I'm, I buy, I'm already looking at houses in another state. Like I'm serious because at that point, if you're a musician in 2004, 2005, our mortgage industry in the United States is yes. such that they're, They're just giving houses to people. They're giving them away. uh, uh Uh-huh. state stated income Stated income, yes. (laughs) I'm like, Shelly, if we want to go get a nice house uh, uh, somewhere, we need to go now. (laughs) So um, we looked around, and we looked at Arizona. We looked at Boise, Idaho. Big,
0: big houses over there.
1: Yeah, and and it was priced about... Arizona and and Boise and Idaho were priced Uh about the same. And so... um, she liked it better up there. I took her to Arizona first and we we found a neighborhood we liked and we we decided to build a home and set up shop up there. And that was right around that same time that her cousin's business, which was a uh, a smoothie chain, kind of like Jamba Juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a competitor to Mm -hmm. Jamba Juice and it was just taken off. It was like fastest growing smoothie chain in the US at that point. So we decided to open a Kiva Juice in Boise, Idaho. So I quit the band, sold all my gear. I'm never going to play music again. It's what you said. That's what I said. <sighs> said goodbye to the guys. Didn't say a word to anyone for a few years.
0: Wait, wait, wait. When you said goodbye, it was like cut off.
1: Yeah. I had other stuff to do. I was uh, opening a business, building a house, so Scott, had the family. So Scott
0: Alexander does what he does best, which is focus
1: on <laughs> what's in front of him.
0: Right. Same template.
1: Yeah, Pretty much, it's so the it's the only way it's gonna work. It's the only way it's. I hope have people success. are taking
0: notice. It really is the only way it's gonna
1: work, <laughs> yeah. Michael and yeah, I. If you've got a bunch of different business yes. ideas and you gotta, you just gotta pick one and nail it at that before you move on to something else. That's what Michael
0: yeah. and I keep talking about, and in, in JJ make the main thing, keep the main thing, the main thing.
1: Yeah, right. And you can expand it over time once it's solid. Right. You know, but. You you better make sure that's solid first, otherwise it's gonna you're gonna take your focus off of it and it's gonna start falling apart. Wow. So, I, so anyway, okay. move so the family a- yeah. up. I uh-huh. say goodbye to the guys. Um, maybe loosely keep in touch with a couple of them. And like um, which
0: couple of them?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: do we have a safe word?
1: Do we do we have a safe word? I said <laughs> for you to ask anything. Jeez. <laughs> I think I kept in touch with, I definitely with Rodney and 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 probably Jim and and George. The George scenario at that point, yeah, George, I, I I think we're patching things up okay. around them because, um, I think because the the thing was in the past for both of us, right?
0: Because he was so, not there, you weren't there. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah George is in California. I'm mm-hmm. up there, and uh, right.
0: Who, who called who? Between you and George,
1: oh, I, 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 don't know. I don't know. I, I want to say I, I probably did, but okay. I, I think in all honesty, we. What here's what happened.
2: Thank here's you. What happened.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's just cut to it. Thank you. <laughs> the band hadn't spoke to each other in a, in a few years, right. and we get offered a show, out of the blue, and. So, uh, I should preface this by saying if we'd had better management and a little bit of direction through the rough times that because here's what happens to every decade okay the if you're a band in the 70s once the 80s come around a lot of them become sort of lame for a little while till people get nostalgic and they remember the songs that they loved when they were in high school or college and then it turns around and all of a sudden they're nailing it and i can remember in about 2002 doing a show in Cleveland or somewhere, who knows. And we did a show that was like okay attended. And we I looked across the street and it was like Poison, Warrant, and mm. Do- and Dawkin doing a show, sold out, can't right. get in. And it's so fun and everybody's like loving it. I'm like, oh, yeah, wow. Everybody, The 80s are back. People love it. And that was in 2002. And so I didn't put it together that the, the rough time that we were heading into was our decade of of suffering a little bit yes. until people came back around. And when things came back around, you have like art from Everclear created the Summerland tour, you know, to capitalize on this 90s yeah. nostalgia. Yeah. And so things started to turn around. A few years later, we get offered a show. I hadn't talked to the guys in a bit. Scott, do you want to do this gig in Wisconsin? It's called Rockfest. I'm like... Out of the blue. Yeah, out of the blue. I'm like jr's on board are you sure and i'm like okay count me in if everybody's in and uh, some all right i guess i'll learn how to play this uh, stuff right but you sold all your gear well yeah, <laughs> yeah i did <laughs> uh, i maybe had a base you okay know, so what,
0: what did shelly say when she saw you wood shedding again uh,
1: so that's interesting well before we get there oh before we get there we thought Jr. said yes, and ah. which he did, and then it turned into a hard no from his manager, which was our old manager, okay? See, I don't so he got a little bit of influence <laughs> from his wife and from his manager and said, don't do it. You need to differentiate, sorry, he needs to differentiate himself from the 90s, from that band, he's trying to launch a solo career. Okay, all right, so now we've we've already, we've agreed to, th- we've signed contracts for the gig at that point. Thinking, we've signed contracts. Thinking Jr. wasn't Yeah. On board and um so what happened was we either we either tell him we can't do it or we ask someone that we think can pull it off real quick and so we went to this kid we knew that had a studio in santa barbara that we knew we'd rehearsed at his studio before and loosely knew him but he was basically like the equivalent of like he was he was in high school when Dishwalla was big, and we right. were the band from Santa Barbara that he kind of looked up to. So this was like, like the like Arnel with,
0: story, you well, know? Well, yeah, it is,
1: it is. And it's much like me with Toad the Wet's Sprocket yeah. going to the same mm-hmm. high school, and yes. he sees us that we went to that same high school. And he's he's an accomplished singer. He could pull it off, and he's like, heck yeah, I'm on board, I'll do it. I'll learn the songs, and, you know, it's like 40-minute set or something. It's with It was with uh, Wallflowers right. and, and Matchbox 20. And uh and Tesla. Oh, that was a dream for him. I know, right? <laughs> so So you got pictures of him and, and the singer from Tesla and stuff at that show. But anyway, that was Justin's first gig. And um so time passes on, we, we get offered another one. Hey Justin, you want to do another gig? Okay, sure. And uh it, and then so,
0: so pretty much Justin was the one off, one off until it became Yeah,
1: yeah until um we we're like what the word we were getting was that we could do better and and get more full-length tours if if we put some points on the board and and did a, right. did a bit more work so we decided to do a west coast leg where we signed on we we, we did a west coast full full-on tour and, and that worked out great we had a blast doing it and we're like well if Wait, we if we make on. a record with him then that'll even legitimize this even more and so we did did a record but, but yeah but hold on we're there yeah, yeah. already i want to know
0: yeah. i want to know you're doing you're managing akiva yeah 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 you you have a you have three kids, Shelly, a nice house in Boise. And you're back
1: doing yeah, this. Yeah, but I'm not I, I'm, I'm not fully back in. See, it's, the, now it's I'm, on our own terms. I yeah. know, yeah. I know, but yeah. then
0: again, uh, what was the conversation like I'll be back.
1: Oh. It's <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It was hard on her because she's just like I thought you were done. Exactly. And the reason why I'm asking this is
0: because there are musicians out there and people yeah. out there who have Partners yeah. in lives who? Yeah. So
1: I know. And, in in
0: you were honest, right? Yeah.
1: You know, you she, <laughs> she, she had our, has still, you know, she's supportive. She wants me to be happy, but at the same time, it's like, really? Like, do you, you know, you, you already did that. Why do you feel in the, that you need to do it more? You know, it's just like, I don't know. I just love it. And, and, Now it's more on our own terms. You know, we go out when it works for us, when it works for our careers and our children our families. We go and do some shows, you know. So it's not like it used to be. I feel like I'm trying to convince you. I'm trying to convince my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Paco understands. He'll let me go on the road and play with the guys. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. okay so now
0: you're doing the west um the, the west side tour yeah, yeah. So in this end you guys are in control it's better right less stress
1: way less stress we're just having fun at this point right. we're just having fun
0: but then again uh residual benefit is you're you guys are gaining momentum
1: yeah exactly and that and then from there <laughs> it just led to for the following few years we would kind of do Package tours is what they call. we we'd get right. packaged with other '90s acts and stuff, and Vertical Horizon, and I also play uh, temporarily in Marcy Playground. We mm. had a song called "Sex and Candy." Yeah. So um, so they're they're kind of they're my buddies, and uh, but so uh, yeah, we. Da, 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 oh yeah.
0: Da, da, da,
1: da. I think it was like what a singer recently did it on like American. American Idol, one of the one of the competition shows that I just nailed it like soul for soulful version of it. So cool. But there a lot of these songs, you know, just have have just nice. withstood yeah, the, the, the test best of time. time. Yeah. You know, it's just amazing. The new generation of, of kids that are that are digging on this stuff now. It's it's really cool. So yeah, uh, yeah. that part okay. feels good.
0: So now you guys are gaining momentum. JR's not with the band. Justin's in. No conversation at all with regard to that. Uh, hey, buddy. Any plans of coming back? or? Um, hey, buddy. Doors closed. We got Justin. How, how'd that work?
1: Not even a conversation. You know, even. I, I mean, I'd like to say that we were mature enough to have that conversation in some mm. form. But in all honesty, it just... It just felt like the door was closed he'd moved on and and we had moved on and into a realm of we're just getting along well it's low stress and we we dig playing each with each other and hanging out and in all honesty between me and you there's a lot of our contemporaries that don't dig hanging out with each other it's a job like they get out support their families they got to go out with these dudes that they are so sick of their crap Mm -hmm. and do not want to do it but we actually we just so it becomes more of like out. a family
0: outing kind of thing, like among right. friends. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, um, like, we'll have we have got this gig on Saturday. We're gonna get out of there and go barbecue afterwards. You know, See? And we'll be hanging out. You know, that's just how we are. It's more of a family thing.
0: Okay, what would you? What would you? Looking back in hindsight, are you? Is your wait? I digress. Is your mom still around?
1: No, she passed away maybe three years ago. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. What? 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 What was her?
0: What was her aura mm-hmm. seeing her only son succeed, and why he really wanted I mean, I to can't think.
1: really imagine. I can't really imagine what it was like. But I just, I just know she was super proud. That's, that's all I know. And that was one of the coolest things for me for, I mean, not for my mom and for my grandma to be able to present a gold record and put it on the wall in the house, you know, and stuff. And it's just like, I can remember my grandma saying like, Scott, why didn't you tell me you were famous? You know, it's like, I've tried to explain this stuff, you know, and, like, and it wasn't until she saw me on like the Tonight Show, yeah. you know, with Jay Leno and mm-hmm. stuff, she's like that it sunk in, that it was something tangible that, that she could be like, oh, the Tonight Show, he's on the Tonight Show, like, that's crazy, you know? so but yeah my mom and my grandma are just just my best my best friends you know they just supported me Yeah, she's just uh you were their only boy exactly yeah yeah so
0: what do you tell your kids
1: about about life because
0: you followed your dreams
1: oh uh, yeah well it, it's hard because I've creative kids too. Like my son, he works in advertising right now, but he's video, does video okay. stuff. But his his first passion is music and music production and writing songs and all that and stuff. So it's been hard. It's hard because I know how hard it, the whole, oh. the whole run it is, okay. but yeah, they've got my full support and like really? buying them gear and okay. cameras okay. and all this crap. Like they, like I was telling you, like my studio is much like yeah. yours, you know, they, grew up learning logic and in the studio and learning instruments and stuff. And yeah, they get some direction from me, but they don't really ask for it. You know, I'm there, like if they, if they want some direction on things, but really they just kind of picked the stuff up through osmosis, kind of just the same yeah. thing as I did, yeah. you know, just naturally. But I think having the instruments around the house and having, you know, readily available for exactly. Them. And the recording ability available, probably, you know, that's they, what, they knew Indonesia.
0: they knew that was that was popular, right? Was famous. My
1: my oldest son definitely Gabe did um, because he'd come to concerts and stuff. Elijah wasn't born until 2002. Okay, so it's been a lot less shows it's and Soraya, stuff. It's Soraya,
0: Gabe. Yeah, Soraya, Gabe, Emma, line, the one. Oh, okay.
1: the Emma line, the one that recently got married and uh-huh, stuff.
0: congratulations.
1: And yeah, so it's pretty exciting. And then Elijah's the youngest, but he's a, was just graduated as a senior, so. 30 years, we're, we're empty nesters now. Oh, empty nesters. I know it's like it's crazy. Ew. He's off to college, and we're just you know, eating dinner so, together.
0: This is bad, you know, it's bad, right? Yeah, because empty nesters, you have four kids out of the house, and you're out of the house. Mm-hmm. So, who's in the house? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> not good, though. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> <Yeah. Ooh. laughs> all right
0: now here's here's a uh, here's what i want to know scott yeah. with regard to this whole journey what kept you grounded and the reason why i'm asking you this question is because this is very humbling and you're setting a precedent for other artists to i hope they follow because you are helping us mm-hmm you're inspiring us. There are four other people here in the studio, well, th- me included, um, and we're in awe. You drove more than a <laughs> hundred, more than hundred okay,
1: miles. I had, to, uh, I had to be in LA, but you yeah, know, regardless, you could um, have gone back. Yeah,
0: you know what I mean. It's it's this is very humbling. But wh- what keeps you grounded? Mm. Because you being here. Gives no other person any excuse not to be here. Am I making sense? Yeah. To, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's and and, and I, thank you.
1: You know I mean first things first. I mean in I, I realize not everybody has a support system like like I've got to have with Shelly, you know, but in all honesty, like she is she's kept me in, in grounded. check. Yeah. She's kept me in check. She is the one that is really like had high expectations and stuff for a kid that was getting in re- arrested and taking stuff and drinking a lot and getting in a lot of trouble. She's the one that kind of pulled me out of this whole thing Amen. and and um you know sh- her family grew up in this church and I I I kind of like I noticed something different in their home that I didn't have in my home. Mm. And um and so I think through through faith and her support prayer you know i yeah. somehow managed to navigate it i've had some rough rough times businesses fail um relationships fall apart along the way yes. things go wrong but for the most part i know that ultimately we've there's a higher purpose to this Amen. and uh and everything's going to be okay if we just press through you know and, and and do our best so that's really all i've done you know about the gist of it. <laughs> so
0: if there was something that you would change in your life what would it be? If you were going if you were given a chance to go back and just correct the
1: timeline what would it be? Oh, I don't know. I I'm just so thankful, you know, even When you get through hard stuff you end up becoming thankful for the hard stuff isn't the weirdest thing like you know i think about my upbringing and maybe not having a whole lot of money and feeling kind of down about it when i was a little kid but i'm so thankful for it now i'm so thankful for that that's like who i am and the reason why i appreciate things and stuff like so um you got to have those those trials in order to like appreciate that later on and make you grow as a person so i don't i don't know that i would change a whole heck of a lot i mean there there's i mean career decisions yeah you know maybe opportunities that i missed along the way that i could have taken that maybe would have positioned me a little bit better right now you know advice that i'd received you know when things were starting to get rough that maybe i could have done this or that but Life wise, I'd say just you know, push push through the hard stuff and uh, and get on through to the next thing. And until then, and now I feel like, what's the next hard thing gonna be? Ah, you know.
0: But you know what's nice? What's nice about about you sharing your journey and what I noticed is, I always I always tell my I have a twenty five year old son mm-hmm. and I, and right now he's he's working for AAA, and I I told him relax. Your he's he's also into music your passion will find its way back
1: to you right just absolutely
0: take care of what you need to take care of and then look at you now being at the top of your game making that crossroad when uh, the first crossroad was when you were 19 with regard to i'm making money i'm in three bands i have Mm -hmm. to give up two hang out with this one put all my eggs in this basket focus boom now i have to focus and give back to my wife and my kids and i have to focus my energy here but then again it's now back to empty nester rock star <laughs> doing what he loves it just, yeah
1: it's pretty wonderful now is it, it the full circle of the whole thing you know and
0: and you're speaking with yeah. so much humility and gratitude and that's amazing
1: yeah, if it, there's, I mean, it, did you play the Philippines? Yes, we did play the Philippines. Let me tell you about that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, okay, so what happened about um back to about two thousand and six or seven? Um, we claimed the name Dishwala, our entity, and we we just formed an equal partnership. And so when we um, took possession of the name we were able to have control of Facebook and Instagram and right. YouTube and all these things right so um around that time I was really I needed I know I need to do better about Facebook posting and, and <laughs> it's like we've been so bad on the dishwall page but um I was able to look at the demographics and we noticed that over half of the people on Facebook were Filipino huh. and and um so I started to kind of have fun with it and put some posts out there. If we played in the Philippines, where should we play? You know, what, what should the set list be? You know, just, just engagement questions, you know, out there. Um, uh, and so I started reaching out to Ovation and to some of the bigger promoters, and we were just not big enough maybe for some of the larger promoters. But um, we ended up um, getting, uh, getting a call from uh, a, a, pr- a smaller promoter, that um, wanted to host us to play his uh, surf contest in La Unión. Yeah. Oh, nice. And um, I know, right? So um, sun and
0: sand beach. No, yeah.
1: Yeah. arena. So, so bingo. Benji Manahan. Benji Manahan. Yeah. Yeah. Brings us on out there, and uh, so uh, so we're all set. We're all excited. We get we go through so much to get. And there. There.
0: Yeah, it's and a five-hour drive from the airport.
1: Yes, and I was behind the guys because I, I, I lost my pass. I got to LAX and no passport, Uh-oh. and so we had to do some rush things. So the guys were ahead of me. They already got out to La Union. They're already partying before you know I get out there and stuff. So anyway, they got to take me separately, and uh, um, we get out to La Union, and the worst storm I have ever seen, like. Oh comes through, oh. and, and, and it just got rained out the stage everything's soaking wet and and so um, I just we went down I can remember Jim and I going out there on the stage and we, we there were so many people oh, out man. there to see the show anyway it was totally rained out so we just signed stuff hundreds of people signing stuff signing stuff out on the beach and um, and we just, we hung out that night and we we packed up and we went back Back to our homes, flew back to the US. sixteen hour flight. Yeah, that was it. So um so the the arrangement we made was that we were gonna go back. We'll go back and we'll go back bingo and we'll do another show f- for these guys. So um they rebooked us at um megatent Libis. Yes, in Libis. Libis. Um so we we I think it's about a year later. <laughs> Check this out. We get out there, and there's, like, a, there is a typhoon on the way. There's a typhoon on the way. I kid you not. I kid you not. They put us up at, like, Marco Polo or something. Yeah, like yeah, something yeah. Like, yeah, yeah.
0: In Ross Boulevard, yeah.
1: Yeah, a really nice hotel. And we're up there. And just, and so Bingo sends, like, some bro of his that, uh, that worked for the Coast Guard. But he had, he had been stationed in San Diego and spoke great English and stuff, and so he was he sent um, him to come like, kind of calm us down. And it's, <laughs> this is the path, and it's going to go this way. It's not going to come, uh-huh. and, and, but we're prepared for whatever. <laughs> and, oh my gosh! So, um, but it, it, we, we, the time comes, we we do play the show. It did rain a little bit, but it was mellow and uh, one of the best shows. I mean best attended shows of, of us as a headliner that we'd ever had. The the reception we had was yeah. so warm and so great. Every single song people singing along. I mean it was like it was so awesome. The we sing- absolutely loved it. We so uh, the, yeah. the the singer
0: of the of the band who played before you, uh Nino Mendoza from
2: yeah. the Blue Jean Junkies. Blue Jean Junkies, yeah. He I was, g- he, was, I keep he was in touch was, with Miggy.
0: Uh, Miggy Batute. Yeah. Yeah. He was um Nino was here, and he was talking about that gig. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Oh, how cool. Yes. I think, uh, yeah, Blue Jean Junkies and maybe Purple Shoes. Mm. And um, what was the other one? I can't remember the name. Oh, man. Wait, you
0: know what Nino was just, telling us la- Do you remember? are oh, probably asleep. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're probably asleep.
1: Anyway, uh, the show was amazing. Yeah. And the pictures and everything, it just turned out incredible from it.
0: So what was and the what was the reaction like when you played in in um, in front of a Filipino crowd? Very receptive, no?
1: Oh yeah, very receptive, and um, it was just so cool. And I, I actually I went out into the crowd at the end of the show, and uh, I don't know why, but you know I went out there and started meeting some people, and and then the rest of the guys kind of came out and, and realized it was Mellow too, and. And some of the the fans that I made contact with that night, I still keep in contact. Yes, know that, and uh, we just we absolutely loved the Philippines. We just loved the people, the warmth yes. of the people are just so humble and so sweet. And we, you know, and then and then, so my daughter decides to go on a mission, right? right. Well, yeah. <laughs> so where does she get called to on the wait, mission? wait? She
0: gets called to go to the Philippines, or she yes, picked the Philippines. No, oh, she you cannot get, not get to pick.
1: Okay. You of the called. whole world, she gets pick. She gets sent to uh, to the island of Cebu, oh. Oh, nice. and so she, Emma Line, this little white kid from <laughs> Meridian, Idaho, is somehow fluent in Visaya. Yeah,
0: the in Visayas, yeah. Visaya, yeah.
1: And um, so she served this mission for eighteen months in Cebu, and she went to Lapu-Lapu. That's a nice. That's a nice place. And Bohol, yeah, which was beautiful. Yes, the uh, Chocolate Hills. And yeah, yeah, the Chocolate Hills. So so, Emmeline really got to know the culture and love the people for, for 18 months working Was she there. talking to you
0: about it, giving you feedback oh, about it, yeah, yeah? yeah? Does she speak Visaya?
1: No. She's fluent in Visaya. She does? Fluent. Oh! Now check this out. She gets home from her mission. She meets a boy, I think online, they meet. And um, <laughs> she's suggested by another friend that lives in Calgary that, that had served with her in Cebu. She's like, you got to talk to this guy. And um so she ends up hitting it off with this guy online and they end up really hitting it off and then they decide to meet and stuff. Well, he's also fluent in Visaya. So Really? Yeah, and they got married. Whoa. So I have my daughter and my son in law that if they want to say something privately, yeah. They they're get, speaking yeah. Cebuano to each other. Right. It's like <laughs> they hilarious. could they could they could
0: sell you out, you know, you know.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I'd have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like it the connection to the philippines for me has just been uh, you know a a lifelong thing because like my first girlfriend i ever had in santa barbara filipino barbara aquino
0: oh related to the former president (laughs) though
1: i think this is a common name i've discovered (laughs) yeah
0: but very prominent though
1: yeah so she dumped me and that was the only time I've ever been, like, dumped by a girl was, was from Barbara. But we, we still keep in touch, and it's kind of fun. But uh, her family, you know, was straight up Filipino in Santa Barbara, and just so sweet to me. Um, and, you know, over the years, it's just like, it, the Filipinos just keep coming into my life for some reason. and then, and then you,
0: Right. And then you bumped into Michael.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you bumped into Michael in Pasadena, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. you know what? I mean... Nothing by chance, no? No. Everything by design.
1: Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's amazing the the world we live in. is just one one world. And, and with me, I'm fortunate that it's music that connects oh, yes. me with, with people around yes. the world. And yes. Even if it's a country that sort of like does, dislikes the U.S. or something, if you're a rock star, it's like, it's okay, you're going to get a pass, though, anyway. We'll love you anyway.
0: Now, an album. Mm-hmm. What what's the what's the band's plan with regard to are have you guys talked about are we are we going to level up now are we going to make this our business we call the shots because Radiohead releases albums on their own volition right yeah like like when you guys um paradigm shift now it's I create an album I release it right have you guys talked about it that way
1: yeah well and we did one record with Justin in 2014 which was a um, like a Kickstarter campaign kind of thing. And, uh, it did quite well, you know, it, it paid for itself and made a little bit of money and stuff. It was great to do it. And it was great for, you know, having it up on Spotify and getting some licensing licensing stuff. We signed a new publishing deal as a result of that. So we went to New York and Uh and signed a new publishing deal, which was exciting. Um, so yeah, we plan on more music. In fact, either tomorrow or Friday I'll be recording with the guys, but I think we want to just do singles for a bit. Why? um so we want to uh, put more focus into just just doing singles than than a whole record and it's just uh it, it, and the the landscape has changed so much in the way things need to be released like I know um on Spotify has changed the game and you know I look at like John Mayer's new art record like the single the first single on it was released three years ago like 2017. You know it's crazy yep perform that on Kimmel and stuff like 2017 yes and that's on the new record that just came out last week and so it's they're doing these waterfall releases and they they take that single down and they re-release it with the same IRC code there's a lot of tricky stuff that goes into releasing a record now and it's like it's complicated but spotify is much like youtube or anything where they just want content content you want new record new record Mm -hmm. new record new record or single or whatever it is ep it's like in and
0: out like my son would release a song a week Mm -hmm. fully produced right and he's like that i've released 52 songs in a year how about your band
1: zero (laughs) (laughs) right yeah so and you're like it's quality not quantity
0: exactly but of course i didn't want to No, it's just that we're old school
1: Uh, you know we're we grew up on a record, you know, or cassette tape or whatever it was. And you know, that was our tangible thing where we got immersed in that one thing for the life cycle of it until the next one comes out. And that's the world that we live in. But the world of releasing things has changed so much, you know,
0: Scott, before we land this Mm -hmm. episode, what would you advise young kids who are mis misguided or are still finding their place in the world.
1: Well, uh, first thing I mean, and I don't any kid that's in that situation. I don't even need to say this, but find the thing that you love to love, whatever it may be that you're passionate about, whether it's sport, you know, or or music or art or whatever it may be. It, it's all it's all the same thing. It's all just something that you're passionate about, and and what you want to do is really simple you just need to put everything that you have into it and uh when you've done that you're gonna go even a little bit further and and just push a little bit harder you know and and to do your absolute best and when you do that it's just good things are going to happen i sincerely believe it i know it sounds crazy but you look at youtube these days and it's just like oh my gosh these kids like you know the learning curve has become so fast for things yeah. it's not like in our time where we had we want to learn a song on yeah, a record that, mm-hmm. like we got to like take the needle off now they just go straight to youtube and, and and learn how to do these things so rapidly that they're shredding on us yeah. know, at at a, at a young age that it's it's just demoralizing my son's
0: 9 and he codes. <laughs>
1: it's <so> crazy <laughs> it's crazy you know um so whether it's computer stuff, or maybe you want to make video games or whatever it might be. It's just, all it really is, is just like, just applying yourself as as much as you can to make some, make it so that it's just undeniable. Like I said, with the dishwall thing, like we have to make this so tight and so good that they have no choice than to sign us because there's, there's, there's no there, they will be missing yeah. out yes. if, and, and so that's really, it is just self-development. For whatever it is and just pushing as hard as you can, you know, but recognize that like what we talked about There's gonna be sacrifice involved, you know, whether it's gonna be social life or or whatever You know, my daughter's a ballerina, you know She didn't have much social life through high school and stuff because it was just hours and hours and hours of dance Like for years, you know, it is what it is Yeah Wow, ladies and gentlemen
0: Scott Alexander <laughs>
2: Thank you. Parker. Wow. I appreciate it. Thank you.